Hi, everybody. Welcome to Taking Back Tuesdays. I am your host, Melissa Mitchell, and I am joined today by Rudy, and he is here to tell us all about his journey. He is also a brain cancer warrior like myself, and I'm really happy to have him on the show today. Okay, take it off. Okay, well, my name is Rudy Fishman. I live in, in Knoxville, Tennessee. I've kind of lived all over the place. Um, my particular brand of brain cancer is a little weird, but not totally weird, but it is, as I like to say, I won the world's worst lottery because just because there's so few people in my age group that ha have it in the location that I do. And um, just a lot of sort of the little sort of genetic factors. It just doesn't, there's something like, Actually, early on, I was contacted by the, um, sorry, I'm blanking out the name of the organization, the big one in, D in Maryland. Uh, Johns Hopkins? No, 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 no. Um, and starting off great, huh? <laughs> we can make it up. Uh, this Hogwarts. is part of, part of uh, the Paul cancer Hogwarts. experience is certainly you just forget things. I mean, okay. part of that's age, but. I definitely forget things a lot more than, than I used to. But anyway, I'm one of 12. I'm one of 12 people uh, that have been recorded in like the last 20 or 30 years that have my of tumor in the location and all, and all that. So it's unique. It's Very like good. one in 400 million, I guess. It's really a pediatric tumor, but I didn't get it until I was in my 40s or I didn't wasn't noticed until my 40s, I should say. Um, and so it was a long, slow process to even get diagnosed. It was actually about a five-year journey wow. to get it figured out just because I was in really good shape. I was doing triathlons, uh, running like 10Ks and half marathons and things like that. And, um, you know, I was told that I was too young and too fit to have anything serious. And um, so I just went from doctor to doctor and pretty much was diagnosed with everything from really bad allergies to exhaustion, kind of like uh, Mariah Carey or something. Okay. But uh, I was a type A personality, worked a lot. But anyway, um, I was having trouble just getting an MRI just to, to rule out the absolute worst case and very unlikely uh, scenario of a brain tumor or brain cancer. Um, I happened to be in Atlanta and um, for whatever reason that laws in Tennessee wouldn't made it very difficult for me to get an MRI that was covered by insurance, but that's not the case, I guess, in Georgia, because I was able to get uh, an MRI in about a week from uh, an appointment with a neurologist. And so um, they did that. Uh, again, I was told that they probably weren't going to find anything. Um, I, uh, would happen to be going to Atlanta anyway, around the date that was scheduled for the MRI for a job interview, actually. Um, job interview went well, and then I went to go get the uh, MRI. Um, and while I was waiting to be kind of discharged, um, they asked me for my car keys. And I was like, okay, that's weird, why? And they're like, we don't think you should be driving right now. Yeah. And so then I was, sent in a lift over to um, a nearby hospital it was St. Joseph's, which is part of the Emory uh, University um, system. And I was told that there was something weird in my head and that 
they were going to need to operate really soon. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was, and then while I was waiting between like doctors and nurses coming in, I checked my email just because I was really sort of not, I was very sort of um, disassociated, I guess would be the word. It didn't really mm -hmm. hit me that something serious was going on. Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, I have to go to work tomorrow. I have to get this done. So I pulled up my computer, checked my email, and there was actually a job offer from the job interview I just had. Mm -hmm. and, oh. <laughs> and then shortly after that, a doctor came in and told me that it was going on. And I was in, I had a couple surgeries from there, eventually diagnosed with uh, something that I wasn't supposed to have, which is some sort of brain tumor, uh, brain cancer. Um, eventually narrowed down initially to a grade two astrocytoma in my brainstem and cerebellum, which is, so it's only partially operable. They removed about a third of it. Mm -hmm. And then, um, later, uh, during I acted, reacted very negatively to chemo and radiation. I actually had growth. And so then I was upgraded to GBM briefly. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that's when, after I was given my second sort of death date of when I should expect to be dead. So I started looking around, wound up at Duke University and um, they bought me back down to a grade two. Wow. Uh, yeah, so they were just like, no, they can't bump you up without actually doing a biopsy. Mm -hmm. But then they sent the tumor tissue out to a laboratory in Arizona who then ruled that I was actually a grade three. Mm -hmm. um, and so anyway, Duke, where I go now is like, your case is really weird. Don't worry about the, the number. Just worry about how you're doing. Yeah. And that's kind of been sort of my, um, my mindset since. Um, as I mentioned before, I've been given two um, death um, expiration dates is what I like to call it. Mm -hmm. I passed both of those. Um, and I'm narrowing in on the third, which is the big one for, the, for what I have, which is 50 months. Mm -hmm. um, coming up in about six months. I'm looking pretty good for that. My last MRI was stable. I've been stable pretty much for three years. So oh. I'm doing something right. Yeah. So I don't know this, but I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. So because one surgery, you did radiation. Two. I had two surgeries, oh. radiation. Two. Actually, am, uh, I get ongoing infusion. It's not technically not um chemotherapy it's Bastin is a drug uh -huh. it's used for a few other cancers too but it's generally only given to people who have gbm mm -hmm. but i'm on it and it seems to be working for me i get that every three weeks now so feel it's all relative <laughs> it's an interesting question i think anybody who's going through sort of like a serious medical issue mm -hmm. I don't want to say you get used to it, but you kind of, it does your baseline of what a good day and what's a bad day changes. So yeah, I remember talking to somebody, um, my initial reasons why I even went to try a doctor to try to figure out what was going on with me is that I just felt tired and I had weird vision issues and my balance was really weird. It was just sort of like vertigo. Mm -hmm. um, but my baseline of where I'm at now if I had had that, what I have now, then I probably would have been freaking the hell out. So, yeah. but I've gotten used to, you know, just always feeling like I'm walking on the deck of a moving boat. Yeah. So it's, I wouldn't say that I like it. So I wouldn't say that 
you know, I'm used to it because it still bothers me. It just bothers me less than it would have, um, you know, I guess back then. Oh, yeah, I would have, I would have probably been in bed, not moving at all, freaking the hell out. So now I'm just like, oh, it's another, it's another day. So what, that's what you do. Are you on like Keppra? Do you have to do seizure meds? What do you take? I've never had a seizure. Um, I do take uh, gabapentin for some vision uh, nerve issues in my eyes. Mm. And that does have some anti-seizure qualities. But for whatever reason, I've never had a seizure. So I know that's very common with brain cancer. But um, for whatever reason, I've never had one. So Is gabapentin a prescription? Yeah, it is a prescription drug. And it's mm. it's generally used for pain, but it does have some anti-seizure it's a very mild compared to like something like capra or whatever in terms of seizures but mm -hmm. isn't it great the way um we know way too much about uh, drugs and things oh like that my, <laughs> my pill organizer is like the most insane thing in the world it's like how many take it's mental but i ask about the gabapentin because i have um no left side peripheral vision in either eye, which was a side effect of like where they cut my tumor out. Like if there's anything that could possibly help my eyes, cause like I can't drive, I can't, do you drive? Uh, no, I'm not, uh, well, theoretically I could drive, but it's been deemed that it's not safe for me to drive. So okay. Um, if I really had to in an emergency, I could probably handle it. But uh, part of because of my tumor location, I get very easily disoriented. So if there's like anything chaotic or noise or weird movement, like I get confused. So that's just not a good recipe if you're driving and like something happens. Yeah. Like it inevitably will at some point. So, you know, I don't drive either. Um, as far as lost vision there's not really a whole lot unfortunately that, that that i'm aware of i mean it's just sort of like you have to get used to um used to um having limited peripheral peripheral vision mm -hmm. um and coming up with workarounds which is something that 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 i've done for my, my big issues physical issues anyway are that i have what's known as hemiparesis which is the left side of my body with my leg and my arm are not as easily controllable and they have very poor coordination. I get this thing called intention tremors where my like left arm, if I think about grabbing something with it, my arm will just sort of jerk. And same thing with my left leg. Um, when I move it in certain ways, it'll just kick. So I have lots of bruises and cuts on both my hands and my ankles from where I've whacked into things just getting out of bed. So, cause it's yeah. like, wow. Well, they kind of do that. I, I call it my spooky hand. Yeah. I feel that. <laughs> it's sort of its own thing. So it's coming up with sort of workarounds mm -hmm. is a big part, I think, of what I've done over the last few years is coming up with, okay, I can't do things the way that I used to, but can I still do it in a different way? Yeah. So that's a kind of a big thing. And that's one of the things that I'm really interested in talking to you about, because that's really been a big sort of ethos, I guess, some mindset sort of approach that I've had where like, you know, just trying to do things that I used to do. I mean, I think anyone who's been hit by something serious health wise, or, you know, it could even just be life trauma, like a divorce or getting fired from a job or something like that is mm -hmm. there's a lot of identity issues that come with it. And so, yes. you know, you're, you're tackling that and juggling that and trying to 
find your old self while also trying to improve yourself and what's healthy, what's not healthy. Is it dangerous mm -hmm. to dwell too much in the past or is it good as a source of motivation? It's a lot of questions. Um, I feel like I don't dwell in the past much. I definitely, there will be times when I'm like, oh my God, remember when I could drive? Remember when I could drive the California coast? Really hard for me. I would say the driving is the hardest part outside having cancer and knowing the statistics and like how fatal brain cancer is. And same with like the death date things and like, you know, those times when you're told, oh, you likely only have this much time. It's like, you'll never, I don't feel like I'll ever recover from those conversations. Like, I don't think emotionally I'll ever get past that. Just like fully devastated me. Sorry. See, I don't miss driving at all. Oh. <laughs> it's actually, I mean, I used to dream, like, if I was ever super rich, the first thing I would do would hire a driver. So um, what do you I do? Mean, like, okay, so wait, where do you live? I live in Tennessee now. I actually used to live in California. I'm very familiar with that drive along the, the California coast, especially so like, northern How do you California. get to the grocery store? Um, well, I am married, and um, just with the pandemic, you know, it's sort of the advent of home delivery. We get a lot of stuff delivered. Yeah. Um, I do get rides places. I mean, it is weird. I said that uh, first thing I would have done is hire a driver if I was wealthy, but you know, I do, I wouldn't mind like somebody taking me to like a parking lot someplace where it's safe, just so I could drive around for 10 minutes just to have the feeling yeah. of it. But you know, I'm very excited about the possibility of self-driving cars, but then again, I don't know how much that you have to be active in that. Like, right. I don't know. <laughs> it's a different way of looking at life for sure. So, and you said um, you have kids too, right? Yeah. Yeah. My wife, I mean, wind up selling my car and we can one car family. My wife pretty much drives everywhere. And, you know, I mean, I guess, now that sort of things are sort of easing up with COVID and everything, it may be uh, different. It's just sort of like, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of need to leave the house or desire to leave the house much. So right. it's worked out so far, but, you know, that may change as things continue to loosen up. So, But you were diagnosed way before COVID. Yeah, I was diagnosed in 2018, but... Okay. For, uh, you know, I remember when I was recovering from my last surgery, like going into my old job and it was probably about three or four months after and talking to them and talking to them about how I would look back at the time that I had brain cancer and would look back and laugh because it would be, it seemed like such a weird thing that happened. And for whatever reason, I just had a lot of complications and weird things I never got to the point where I could look back and laugh. So I definitely have a, a lot of ongoing deficits that I deal with. I don't think any, I've not come across anyone who's like, when I have brain cancer, I think we're all like, we have brain cancer. Yeah. I mean, there's a few people that I met that aren't like, I mean, they're still impacted psychologically and may have like you know, little idiosyncrasies in their, either their physical or mental being. Mm -hmm. And I secretly hate those people. I say that jokingly, but yeah, you're jealous. I, mean, I'm jealous. Uh, I have a friend in Florida that I met um, just through social media and stuff. And he like runs like 
10 K's and surfs and it really pisses me off. So mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, I, hear that. Why I do that stuff. I'm jealous, know, but... I'm jealous of people who don't have to hold the railing when they walk down the stairs. I'm like, yeah. how dare you? Yeah. I have to hold the railing. I can't ride a bike. I, yeah, it's, I'm I get very jealous. People having cars. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. You, you, uh, my understanding, you, you're more newly diagnosed than I am. It's like really in like the last year or so. I was diagnosed May 2020 at the height of COVID. So, journey alone. Yeah. So, I'm coming up on my two year anniversary in May, my two year cancer anniversary. And I did, you know, craniotomy i did the radiation i did the year of tamadar and then i just found out we i have two very small spots that are going to need that i'm going to need to go back on chemo for so i'm right now at the point where if i'm gonna do some kind of like immunotherapy which i guess this is new for um mm -hmm. yes i am going back into treatment were you were you NED at any point never I see. I was told that no can brain cancer people can be considered NED. That that's just mm -hmm. like we all we can hope the best we can hope for is stable scan, like staying stable. Just because it's it's so hard to detect whether there is, they don't even feel comfortable saying no evidence of disease, just because the cells, the likelihood that some sort of little cell is right. Something. Just had a um. Spinal tap, my first spinal tap last week, and it came back no evidence of any fluid, which is so Are now you, we just have you a pond, I, I don't know how to pronounce but a pondium moma or whatever. Is that what I you do are? not have astrocytoma. Astrocytoma, but in the spine, that's, I know that's pretty, that's not common actually. So it's very interesting to me. No, my spine is totally clear. He was just checking my spine because he's like, because I have these spots in one of my ventricles and he's like how did those get up there that when you're big my tumor was huge it was seven centimeters and he's like when they were removing it they might have cut out a little piece that floated out and that's what we're seeing. but he's like i need to check your spine to make i've never done this before i had a spinal mri and then i had clear like no no tumors or lesions on my spine my spinal fluid was clear. So now that my doctor determined like which chemo are we gonna do like a biologic chemo are we CNU because I already did Temidar. So that will probably be this week. Is, Mine is good. I mean I guess this is akin to sort of the thing with the drugs, but it's like you know, when I was first told that I might have brain cancer, that's all I really understood. It's like when you start hearing even just like the term glioma, you know, mm -hmm. and then, or astrocytoma or IDH1 and all that stuff. It's like, how do we get to know all these very technical terms for, for stuff? It's, I mean, that's, I think is probably the most, was the most overwhelming thing for me. It was just like, I felt like there was so much I had to learn to even understand my diagnosis. Yeah. Like, are you in any of the Facebook groups? Uh, I'm not really a big Facebook person when it comes to brain cancer support. I mean, know some people really like it a lot for me. I, I'm not so much into that. I prefer, um, actually, it's odd because I always hated it before, but the Twitter cancer community, I've always found, I think it's just because 
it's more sort of long-termers. Okay. And the Twitter cancer community, whereas Facebook, I think, is a lot more sort of newer um, mm -hmm. people who are diagnosed. Um, there's a lot of questions about, like, what does this mean? What should I do? What did you do? And people right. trying to sell things or, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah. and so, like, for me, it's like, I just found Facebook very repetitive because it was stuff that I had been through after, at a certain point. And so, like, while I feel... Yeah. Zofran, you idiot. That yeah, so, made me crazy. So yeah, the the Twitter cancer community is a little bit more, I guess, veteran. Okay. And so it's more about sort of like, I guess, sort of psychological support and moral support of just being like, oh, I'm having a rough day, blah, 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 treatment, blah, 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 blah. Not a whole lot of like details. People just sort of get that it sucks. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, how do you even so find how do you even find these Twitter people? I don't tweet. <laughs> I'm so not a Twitterer. I was not really either. I had a Twitter account and I literally only used it to say incredibly stupid things that I didn't think anybody would ever see. And forever I had like 18 followers and I thought like mostly just like news sources. It was a good source for getting news quicker. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got cancer. And then, um, you know, I started posting a few random things about cancer, got followed by a few uh, cancer folks and then found a few cancer folks. And next thing you know, you know, at around 1,500 followers. And Whoa. It's, it's, it's weird going from so little, like, time on it to it's actually that and Instagram are really the only two places where I spent any time, mostly Twitter, mm -hmm. um, because it's like, and I've met people from around the world with different types of cancer and had conversations with them in real life. I've met a few people in real life. I've never done that with Facebook or Instagram. So, I mean, it's just yeah. everybody's different, but I think it's just like you just start looking for stuff and you sort of find it. You feel like you, um, your like Twitter community, is it more like general all types of cancer or mostly brain cancer? Initially, I was only interested in brain cancer because, as you know, people with brain cancer are way cooler than any other type of cancer. We definitely are. And our, I just feel like it's so unique. Like, when people talk to me about, like, breast cancer, I'm like, I don't know. Like, you're, the way they do their steps, it's like chemo first and then surgery. You know what I mean? I'm like, it's, I feel like it's a book. Like, the standard of care for, like, gliomas is the same and it's just i don't know all well, the other cancers even just crazy. even just the way that brain cancer is graded and not staged it's right. sort of you know it's like mm -hmm. definitely is its own animal and what one thing that i found that i thought was really funny at first um is that sort of brain cancer has the rap of being like this big bad serious cancer and it's like i don't necessarily feel like that like to me like i look at like pancreatic cancer or lung cancer or you know something like that is which is far more painful i think brain cancer is just a lot more mysterious yeah There's a lot more unknown um mm -hmm. we don't have a lot of treatment options uh and i mean just like the fact that you know the classification system i mean even last year there was changes in it so right um it's it's a much more elusive cancer but um to go back to your question is my twitter uh friends really are 
initially it was all brain cancer, but then I sort of branched out and, and mostly it's, I would say it's a pretty good sort of variety of different types of cancer. Cause it's, it's more focused, I think on sort of the, you know, living your life post-diagnosis and, and all that. But mm-hmm. the thing about breast cancer is it seems like, well, this is not hundred percent true, but it does seem like the term after cancer that is used for like, say breast cancer or, you know, melanoma or something like that. I mean, I don't understand what that is. So it's like, yeah, yeah I do understand it conceptually, but like what, huh? there is no after cancer for somebody with, um, with brain cancer, I think just because, you know, as you said before, I mean, what's, is there even really, I know evidence of, of disease status. No, there's no like remission, you know, it's just kind of like, it is your life a terminal illness, basically. I've seen, I saw inspiring things like it is a terminal, but treatable cancer. And luckily my new doctor, he very much is like, you know, cancer is a war. This is just one battle. And like, that's kind of the way we're approaching this because, you know, and I, October so and I'm just all about like you know taking it one day at a time and like living continuing to live my life and like I'm trying I'm turning 40 in November and I'm trying to put together like my 40th birthday trip with my friends and I'm like what do I want to do because one friend said a cruise and I was like I really can't do a cruise like I'm going to be on chemo if something happens, I have to be able to get to a hospital, you know, but I'm mm-hmm. still like, I do want to take a trip. I do want to go, you know, I'll go Mexico. I'll go to Palm Springs. I'll go wherever. But like, I don't know. A cruise just seems like a little that for with the cancer, with the chemo. I just feel like that's like a little inhibiting. There becomes just so many factors that you have to take into account when you do things that I think people don't really understand. Like I know that you know, it even happens with my wife who, you know, she knows kind of what I go through on a daily basis, probably better than anybody. And there's still situations where like, I feel like she doesn't like one of the things that's a weird thing with the vast and it's called geographic tone. It's not really serious or anything, but it's, it's like get these lines on your tongue and you become really sensitive to like certain flavors and things like that. Like mm-hmm. she'll still put like, so like spicy food, like I've completely lost any sort of like, well, I can't take anything spicy at all. Okay. Uh, and she still puts like hot stuff in food and stuff every now and then. So it's like, it's very, you know, it's something as, as little as that where mm-hmm. I mean, it's not necessarily a major, I mean, and then there are serious things like where if you suddenly have balance issues, like I have balance issues, like me going on a cruise is, probably not a good idea just because there's always subtle movement it's good oh yeah i didn't uh, think about that trigger all sorts of things um mm-hmm. if you're on chemo you know and you're dealing with that like you're already not feeling kind of your best so right if anything like sort of like slightly bad happens which it probably will mm-hmm. it's way worse like i remember i had a 24-hour stomach bug except for me it lasted a week yeah my immune system is all messed up and everything so it's like Mm-hmm. I mean, literally my six-year-old daughter who is six at the time she's now seven um she um she had the same one she was sick for about 24 hours i got it 
expected to be sick for 24 hours, but I'm still having all the symptoms for like a week. And yeah. that's just everything is exaggerated that's bad, especially. So it's, you have to plan for that sort of stuff. What's the, like, how long can you be on Avastin for? Um, I've heard different things about it. I think it also depends on exactly how it's being used for me. I can be on it until, or what I've been told anyways, I can be on it until it doesn't work anymore mm -hmm. because it will stop working at some point. Like your body just stops responding to it, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been on it for about two years now, a little over two years. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that for some people, like we're only on it for like six months or something like that. Other people are on it for like a couple of years. Um, but at least what I've been told by my particular medical team is that I can be on it for as long as it works for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's another thing too. It's like, I have to plan that I have this appointment every few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it's not something you can get just anywhere. So. And that's the only like cancer fighting thing that you're doing right now. Like you're not yeah, any I, I wouldn't even say it's cancer fighting because well, I mean, I guess it is. It's more weight. And the reason why it's not considered a chemo is it doesn't actually, doesn't kill cancer or anything like that. What it does is it inhibits growth. Okay. Um, which is how it's used. So it's, uh, it's, you know, it's used like a chemo in the fact that you get infused every few weeks and all of that, but it really doesn't actually do anything to destroy cancer. It just holds it back. So do you, you don't, do you lose your hair from it or no? No, no, it's actually, at least for me, it's been very, very mild. I, you know, like you can eat while you're getting it and mm -hmm. you don't really lose appetite. The only real, I would say the only strong side effects that I get for it is right after an infusion, I'm really tired for a couple of days and then it passes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I would say as far as chemos it, it's, um, or drugs used for cancer, it's pretty mild. I mean, there's some weird things like i mentioned the uh, geographic tongue mm -hmm. i'm like dry flaky skin on my forehead but it's not really worth complaining about you know yeah uh, is it like through a port or you just like do uh, yeah i don't have a port i was given the option again i declined to get a port just mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons but um it's just you know they stabbed me um yeah with iv and sit down for about a half an hour to 45 minutes and they pump me full of, of of the liquid and then I'm free to go. So it's, it's pretty easy, you know? Mm -hmm. so. And then how often do you do your MRIs now? I'm every nine weeks. Okay. I'm not sure why nine as opposed to eight weeks. Mm -hmm. I did go to th every three months for a while. Um, but for whatever reason, um, but for whatever reason, they have uh, they moved me back to two months because they were worried about something um and and then uh nine weeks is what i'm at now so which i guess there's some sort of logic for but i don't know what it is so uh, i've been uh my scans have been stable for about three years straight now so i'm pretty excited about that so that there is talk amazing thank you yeah i'm you pretty celebrate happy. like your cancer anniversary or no um i don't yes and no like i acknowledge it um i know some people are really into it and some people are not into it right. because yeah. it's a reminder of a really negative thing mm -hmm. for me it's kind of like a new birthday i feel like 
I'm a different person and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. Like, like you know, it's, it's sort of like a, a second birthday of sorts. I am really excited about my 50 month um, sort of markets coming up in about five months now. Wow. Uh, so um, just because that's a big deal, it's sort of like the outside sort of end of the median range of life expectancy for what I have. So yeah, that's really awesome. So I'll be glad just that the, uh, the statistics change a little bit once you pass that. You don't necessarily get better, but you... Um, you know, it's just like, if you make it that far, you're likely to get to the next milestone mm-hmm. and so forth and so on. It's still not great, but it's, it's something, it's some sort of hope. So it's like, yeah. yeah. More stuff is coming out all the time. Yeah. It's kind of the, the way I look at it is that the goal is not necessarily to destroy cancer. It's to uh, live long enough until there's like a good treatment option i think so much of it is like earlier it said to me about cancer is not curable but it's treatable right i don't know that i necessarily would even phrase it. i would say that it is it's not curable but it's manageable yeah there you go yeah, um, I, I like that um just because like there's not a whole really a whole lot beating it back but um but you know maybe I'll, I'll live to see that i don't just the rate at which the science goes i don't think i'll live to see a cure, but mm-hmm. if something can extend my life and and, and not destroy quality of life, um, right. then that's that's very desirable as well. So, mm-hmm. and can you like you read, right? I can still what read R E A D. Yeah, yeah, I can still read. Um, it's just because like my vision is always changing, gradually getting worse. Mm-hmm reading like small fonts and things like that and, or reading a lot gets really tiring. Like if I get a really long email, I'm probably not going to read the whole thing. I'll read the first few lines and I'll skim it a little bit. And that's uh, cause it, it's, it's very overwhelming to me to see yeah. all the text. Um, but I can, I can read. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's just my vision. Like there's also certain ranges. Like if something gets within a certain like distance with close to me, like it just gets very uncomfortable. Like I start to get dizzy and stuff like that. So it's, it's tricky. Again, it's, it's another thing to sort of adapt around. Mm-hmm. And I think people don't really sort of consider if they aren't going through it. So yeah, it's like an invisible disability. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, I get that actually just because of my balance, I walk a little funky. So people um, will accuse me of being drunk because I don't mm-hmm. look like no, I don't look like I have some terminal disease. Right. Something like that. I just look like, oh, he's kind of stumbling around and walking in crooked lines and sort of like wobbling back and forth when he walks. He must be drunk. Yeah. He, no, he doesn't. He's not old. I mean, I'm 50 years old, which isn't young, but I'm certainly not old either. So. Have you ever gone to a chiropractor for that, for the walking stuff? Because I have the same thing and I'm like, I feel like some, I have like shortened my left leg or something since this all started because my gait has completely changed. I've not gone to a chiropractor, but I have done extensive physical therapy and that's helped a lot. Like, okay. for, you know, do you still go? While, for a, yeah, I still go. For a while, I was using a cane and a walker and all that. And I don't anymore. So I think it at least got me that, like to that point, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah. You know, 
I did that in the beginning too, but like pretty quickly graduated out of those. Mm. But I can't even imagine like running or skipping. I mean, I can walk. I cannot walk on uneven surfaces. Like if I'm on the beach, oh my gosh, it's scary. But regular walking, I can do. Well, I walk quite a bit and I try to challenge myself a little bit. Like I actually walk six to eight miles a day, but I make sure to, yeah, trust me, it started at like 500 steps a day. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And I just slowly over time, like increased the amount as I was comfortable. But then Mm -hmm. another thing that I do is that I try to walk on uneven services or, you know, like say grass, tall grass. Yeah things I don't do it the whole time but I make sure that part of the walk is that just to kind of like push myself a little bit and get comfortable with being uncomfortable mm-hmm. I think it's a big part of it um yeah. like for instance one of the things that I did in physical therapy is they actually adjusted my I still can't like jog or run or anything like I used to but um they did adjust my walk so it's I can walk pretty swiftly um, if I want to, and if I really want to push it. So that was one thing that physical therapy really helped me with because it just got me thinking about like my body movement in a different way. I've recently started a type of physical therapy known as Feldenkrais, which is not super common, but it's available in most places. I mean, if it's available in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is not really like a major metropolitan area, it's going to be available a lot of places. Tell me what it's called again. Feldenkrais, it's F-E-L-D-E-N-K-R-A-I-S. And it's sort of like doing, it's like a cross between physical therapy and Tai Chi. It's like, you're not just doing the like traditional movements. Um, You are um, also like walking and thinking about like how the energy in your body, it's very sort of new agey sort of woo woo stuff, but Mm -hmm. which I am not actually at all. But totally, I love that. I really enjoy it, so. I love it to counteract all the poison that I have to put in my body constantly. Yeah. So anyway, it's, it's a, I mean, Feldenkrais uh, physical therapists are trained and licensed in all sort of the more traditional sort of approaches, but then they bring in the sort of this sort of like cognitive element to it and different types of movements and stuff. So I like it. I mean, I actually tried yoga for a while and I actually found that it moved too quickly for me, Mm -hmm. which is kind of funny because most people are like, ah, yoga, they either love it or they find it really boring. Mm -hmm. And it was too quick for me. Like it wasn't even an option just because I actually felt nauseous doing it. You probably need restorative yoga. Yeah. So anyway, the, um, I really like the the Feldenkrais because it's, it can be very slow. Mm Mm-hmm not very triggering yeah i will look into this yeah i i my problem i'm really like it's really hard to motivate myself to do stuff because i just hate how hard everything is for me when it was like easy before Mm -hmm. but yeah i'm i'm gonna work on it yeah actually i heard about phone calls from somebody who has lung cancer Mm -hmm. i think that's one of the benefits of reaching out and getting involved excuse me I think that's one of the uh, benefits of reaching out um, and getting getting to know other people with various types of cancers that you learn about things like this. And some of it may apply to you, some of it may not, but I've certainly learned about lots of different types of approaches to things just by reaching out to others and being part of some sort of community. I mean, it could be Facebook, and then yeah. you have Twitter. Um, I'm involved in a few sort of organizations like 
National Brain Tumor Society and American Brain Tumor Association and things with them. Okay. And um, that's introduced me to some folks. Uh, so, but you know, it's like, you kind of have to make an effort to, to reach out to people. But if you do people, I think we're all sort of like hungry to meet other people who kind of get it. Oh yeah. So, like, cause you know, any one of your friends, they might be very nice and very supportive in a general way, but they still don't really understand what you're going through. So right. I think meeting people who have kind of been through the crap storm um, and know what it's really like and aren't going to say the things that are really annoying or, um, you know, maybe have some solutions mm-hmm. is very valuable. Yeah, I've never, I have a, I feel like my online community is great. I've never met anyone with brain cancer that I know of you know someday it'll happen yeah yeah we're I mean that's the other thing with brain cancer is there's not as many of us as us I get mad sometimes I mean it's not lasting anger but momentary rage at the fact that like oh you have a treatable a more treatable cancer than I have it's not blah 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 or like there's attention to certain types of cancers uh, for whatever reason, just, but they're more common. I mean, I think like brain cancer is like the 10th, number 10 in terms of like most common cancers, which is fairly low. I mean, you yeah. consider actually get it. Um, but it is also one of the more deadly cancers, especially uh, for children. So, yeah. So, I, get, uh, I get frustrated. You can like jump in because you said you're on like tumor boards. I, when people are like, oh, I know someone with a brain tumor. And I'm like, well, I don't have a brain, I have brain cancer, you know, mm-hmm. like, I always want to like make it known like this is I don't just have a benign tumor that was removed and didn't or which I know people still have to do treatment and still have a lot of that kind of it's, stuff but I don't know that is one of my like sensitive issues it is hard I mean it's a thing that I have learned that is called sort of uh, cancer gatekeeping mm-hmm. uh, where you kind of like what's the pecking order of different types of cancer who has it worse who has it better do you have the real cancer? Um, uh, it's, it's hard because it's easy to want to be petty and angry about stuff, but ultimately in the end, it all sucks. It just sucks in different ways. Right. Um, and I think that that was a big thing, I think, for me to sort of like wrestle with and tackle to kind of remove some rage from my life and anger mm-hmm. because, you know, while I'm not necessarily a guy who believes you need to be super positive and happy and all that, and that's going to impact, you know, how you're doing medically. Um, I do think that removing stressful things from your life is very helpful. And so, like, you can remove anger and rage. That's removing some stress from your life, not allowing yourself to get worked up about things that ultimately really aren't that important. Just learning to see different perspectives mm-hmm. has been valuable. I feel like I used to, and I was so empathetic before cancer, and then now my fuse is so low for like what people consider difficult, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to start a podcast is because I wanted to talk to people who are going through things, not just brain cancer, and I can hear difficulty get back to like the empathetic person that I was because for a while I've just been I don't even know if I've been angry been like trapped in the brain cancer for years through 
it through isolation and like, you know, it's just been so hard and hard for me to feel something for other people's problems. So I'm definitely working on that. Yeah, I've definitely been there. I hope you, I think one thing that's been very helpful to me, I didn't do a, I mean, I did have a podcast for a while, but my main creative sort of um, endeavor, what I was doing YouTube videos, I had a series and technically I just changed the name, but it used to be called Brain Cancer Diaries. And the original idea was that I was going to interview other people with brain cancer and kind of what you're talking about, where you're sort of processing your own diagnosis by talking to other people and seeing what they are going through. And I think that taught me a lot, but I wound up just because there's not as many of us, I wound up starting to meet people with other types of cancer and things like that. And, um, you know, it's kind of grown. That's why I changed the name from brain cancer diaries to that cancer life. Um, and that has been incredibly uh, useful to me. I think it's really helped me process things. Again, it's not, it's not exactly the same as a podcast, but it's the same general idea of reaching oh, out yeah. to people. Talking, talking to them um and um it's been tremendously useful to me um to kind of really understand different perspectives not get so angry because you know you talk to somebody who has like a benign tumor but l- loses the use of the one side of their entire body you know because of the of them removing that or has ongoing issues that are very very serious you learn, I mean, for me, I think it's made cancer has made me more empathetic mm-hmm. instead of like, if I see somebody having, acting out in public and doing things that aren't like, aren't cool, like giving, you know, somebody a hard time at a, a restaurant or something like that. You know, I think my first, my, my first inclination years ago would have been like, oh, that jerk, blah, blah, they're, they're terrible human beings. Now my first inclination is I wonder what's going on in their lives that have put them in bad mood, mm-hmm. which is just sort of a different, I think it's a more empathetic way of looking at it. So, um, yeah, I'm just trying to understand like why they are like, I know like for my wife and I, it's like, you know, like all relationships will occasionally squabble have, um, heated discussions, of course. Um, but ultimately it's always, um, I think what, I realize is that it's often not about whatever it is we're talking about. It's just anger with cancer. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yes. why can't I put away the dishes properly, you know, without breaking a dish or why is it nauseating for me to load and unload the dishwasher? Like I can do it and I try to do it, but it's actually more difficult than you think. And so it's like, you know, somebody giving you a hard time about putting the glasses in the wrong spot or whatever. That's just an example. I've never been about that, but that's yeah. the sort of thing that would come up. Um, ultimately, it's really not. It's really anger and frustration with cancer. The fact dealing with two small kids, like I just can't get. I can't be as physical as I'd like to with the kids in terms of getting on the ground and playing with them and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, I mean, I can do other things with them. Like I uh, recently have been helping them play music and sing and then do some videos with them just because making videos is something that I can still do. And yeah. I, I find, I find it therapeutic to make them. And then if that also helps gets me involved with them even better. So. Yeah. Do you have like heightened sense, a scent or no, I'm sent and hearing. I have, um, I would say my, Hearing is not necessarily heightened, but I'm very sensitive. 
mm-hmm. the noises, especially high pitched noises mm-hmm. and a lot of movement, which you can imagine with, you know, a six and an, uh, a five and seven year old or actually six and eight now. Um, there's a, a, a occasional loud noises and a lot of movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sometimes just have to leave the room and kind of just being quiet to reset. I also, I have a pair of earplugs that I, I, I use. They're not like traditional earplugs in the sense that they block out sun. They just yeah. cut out cut out certain frequencies. Um, so like it cuts out higher range stuff. And I found those very useful. Cool. Really has eyes. Like um, a few months ago, I was able to go to a children's birthday party, which was a big no-no for me. Um, you know, even six months ago was not really something that I would be interested in at all, but I was able to, I still sat in the corner and didn't do much, but Mm -hmm. I was able to at least attend. So, yeah. Little wins. Yeah. I think that's, I think in terms of sort of tackling, uh, and dealing with cancer, that's one of the things is, I, I think it's really important to always sort of be learning on how to sort of adapt around things that you can't do and figuring out ways to do them still, whether it's wearing earplugs or maybe I walk a different route instead of running it. Um, maybe I do this and that. Like, I remember this is actually, I met this woman in the UK, Sarah Crossland. She has acoustic neuroma, which isn't even cancer, but she had a very weird case of it. it has very similar sort of balance issues that I have. Mm-hmm. And I remember her saying that, and she's very athletic, very like into hiking, climbing mountains and things like that. And um, she was unable to do that. Um, and she, she, after she kind of went through her surgeries and everything, people were just like, oh, there's the new normal. You just have to get used to your new normal. And she's like, I don't want a new normal. And she was talking about sort of like, how if you have to be different than you were, like, how can you be better? And that's something that I think about a lot, where yeah. is that I think there's a lot of opportunity. It's like, okay, maybe you aren't the same person you used to be, but you can still do pretty cool things. You just do them differently. And so mm-hmm. you figure out how to do them. I'm really big into sort of goal setting and coming up with realistic ways to accomplish those. So that's awesome. I need to get there. <laughs> yeah, it takes a while. Like yeah. I said, I, I, started doing 500 steps a day and now I walk like on a, an easy day I'll walk six miles so wow then I'm doing like physical therapy exercises at home and things like that so I think it's, it's really important um especially with brain cancer um I, I have actually a neuropsychologist that I see mm-hmm. once a month um and one thing she told me is just that it's very unique to brain cancer is that the idea of like, you're not doing therapy and exercise to get better necessarily. You're doing it to hold off and minimize the impacts of when it gets really bad. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a dark way to put it, but I, I found it very sort of like empowering and motivational, which is you're getting ready for like the really bad crap to happen. Um, and you, you wanna be in the best possible position you can for that, which is, it's not the same as like, oh, well, if I work out a lot, I'm going to lose 10 pounds and be in better shape and blah, blah, blah. No, it's, that's not really the uh, attitude that I have towards doing this stuff. It's about holding off the inevitable and minimizing the impact for when it does come, because it is going to come. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a really weird way to put it. I think 
as I call them the normies, people not impacted by cancer yeah. would get kind of freaked out by it. But I believe in being realistic. It's just the nature of it. I mean, yeah. there's only so much you can do and whatever you can do to like, you, you, Save you it use, off, you know, save it off. Like you, you use, I'm not personally big into sort of like the, the battle terminology. I get it. I understand mm-hmm. it doesn't offend me or anything like that, but yeah. I think if anything, like the people who are battling, like I think the medical team is battling, the cancer is battling. I'm kind of caught in the middle. Yeah, like, I totally refugee. feel that. I'm like uh, somebody who lives in the Ukraine and wondering why all these bombs are coming down around me and you might have some ideas, but mm-hmm. your your thing is like, I just want to live. I just yeah. want to have a safe place to be. Right. I just want to be able to live my life you know and so it's like that's kind of the way i feel more like a refugee than i do um somebody who's fighting i don't feel like necessarily like a warrior i mean there are elements i think with you know attitude and things like that that are certainly battling but like i said i think it's more the doctor it's more the doctors and the cancer that are battling i'm just kind of caught in between Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm just living trying to live as full and enjoyable a life as I can. And some days are they're they're really bad, but the, the normal days. I also all the things that are you know, if it was their last. I'm like sometimes I'm really tired and I don't get to bed and I can't, you know, I don't embrace the day. But I don't know. I think I have more good days than bad and you know, I'm just trying to like extend my time on earth as much as I can while still being able to, you know, it is about quality of life. Like I've seen some people turn in ways that I'm like, I don't want to live that way. But right now I'm doing great. I'm going to start more treatment, but you know. Uh, one thing that I think about a lot that I think also helps motivate me is I remember when I was a kid, my grandmother died very slowly of a disease and she kind of knew what was happening and she just wound up staying in bed a lot, like the last two years of her life. Um, and I remember being like, like, I get that she doesn't feel great, but at least coming out just to say hi or something like that. And so like, I often tell myself that I don't want to go out like that. Like mm-hmm. um, for while I'm able to get up and out of bed, I'm going to get up and out of bed. And it's, it's hard some days, but and yeah. somebody, you give yourself a break and just sort of like, fall into sort of the crap but Mm -hmm. um you know i think there's a lot of days you can still get get up out of bed and do something and i think that been that's from mindset has been very helpful to me Mm -hmm. Um, and i think it's part of the reason why um you know i've done relatively well compared to what the statistics say so i mean statistically i i should be dead by now but i'm not so um and i think part of it is like i'm not ready to give up yet i guess and give in and accept that the inevitability of of death are turning south so i'm doing all the things i can to stave off mm-hmm. bad stuff and hopefully that's decades you know we'll see yeah. time will tell I meanwhile i do live a daily life with a lot of low level issues compared to sort of like terminal. the average 50 year old yeah the average 50 year old for for sure. I mean, like, you know, just going through treatment made me a lot grayer than I was, a little bit more wrinklier than I was. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, Word hard. to that. 
yeah, I mean, it's hard. You, um, you've basically been through a battle of sorts and it's like the city's been bombed out and you're living in it. <laughs> the, uh, you know, my skin and my hair and my face shows that to a certain degree. So yes. trying the best I can to rebuild some of the cosmetic things, but you know, and get the realistic expectations, you know, completely without having to completely redo the foundation, you know, it, yeah. it just takes time. Everything is slow. The way time moves, like you had said earlier that you were diagnosed just about two years ago. And to me, that seems like yesterday. That's just my perception of time. Yeah. Seems to be different. Mm -hmm. It seems cool. like yesterday to me. And I mean, I'm such a different person, but then two years really isn't that long when you think about it. Yeah. I mean, I think you just become way more focused on uh, the smaller details yeah. in, in daily life and like what really matters. It's like, do you, um, oh, today was a decent day because I got out of bed or I did a few things that I wanted to get done. None of them was, I didn't like reorganize the basement or something like that, but I got started on it, you know? I think that's like those sorts of things are huge wins. Yes. So it's like, and it may seem like I think somebody not going through is just like, ah, oh, I'm so lazy or whatever. It's like, right. no, you're not. You're still doing stuff. And so I, I think it's really important to do something. You don't, you don't have to do everything, but doing something is really important. I had a friend very early on, he actually uh, passed away of rectal cancer a few years ago, mm -hmm. but he asked me, I met him shortly after I was diagnosed and he asked that, you know, if I had a daily to-do list and I said, yeah, actually I do. And he said, how many items are on it? And I said, I don't know, like eight or nine. He's like, whoa, that's way too many. You should have like three. That's, and I was, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, really? And then he was like, yeah, set yourself up for success. Like if you, you can make them super easy things like just getting out of bed, like making yourself a hot breakfast or mm -hmm. taking a shower, like those should be the things on your to-do list and make, so make it very easy. So if you do anything beyond that, like you actually have this, the, the feeling, the fulfillment of having done a lot that day, even if in, you know, compared to somebody else, it may not seem like that much. It might seem like, Oh, people do this stuff every single day. What's the big deal? But you, and then that, so I've, I've gradually increased my sort of to-do list from two or three items to now seven or eight things a day that I do. And they're a little more challenging, Whoa. but that takes time. You know, you have to kind of build up your tolerances I mean, just like walking in a very grassy field. You, What's your sleep different. schedule? Like, do um, you need a ton of sleep? Cause I mean, I do. I did. Uh, I would say after about two to three years, it hasn't been quite as bad in terms of um, requiring a ton of sleep. Early on, I was basically sleeping 20 hours a day. I mean, that's yeah. when I was doing 500 steps a day. Um, but over time, it's gradually decreased. Okay. Um, and now I sleep about eight, nine hours a night. Okay. Which is, I mean, compared to, I used to when before cancer, I would sleep like six or seven hours a night. So. Yeah. Compared to that, it's a ton of sleep, but yeah. I'm still tired and taking naps. I think one thing that's really helped is that I've learned to manage my fatigue. Like I do take, I really try hard to stay to a sort of set sleep schedule. I think that has helped where like 
I try to get up at a certain time and go to bed at a certain time. I try not to nap, but I do during the day, like I will recline and lounge mm -hmm. for like an hour in the middle of the day to kind of just relax and find my bearings. I try really hard not to fall asleep though. Cause I find that like, if I take a nap, I always wake up way more tired and feel kind of crappy. Yeah. And I want to stop doing anything that day. So if I have any hope of accomplishing anything in the day, I try not to fall asleep. I just rest and relax. Um, do my form of meditation, which I call bad meditation. Um, you say dad. Bad meditation. B-A-D. Because like I, do I do it not the way that, you know, they show it in the videos. And if you were to take a meditation class, they would not say it that way. It's sort of my sort of weird bastardized way that I come up with. That works for me. Yeah. I heard my friend was saying, because I was like, I can never head clear. And she's like, all you have to do is focus on your breathing because your head is going to do whatever it wants. But if you just keep thinking and staying with your breath, that's meditating. See, I don't do anything with my breath. Like, I know my breath relaxes, but see, I guess that's why I do it wrong. But, um, <laughs> hey, but yeah, no, I, I just, I focus on relaxing and calming down. And I think different parts of my body and moving around, I, I tell myself certain mantras, like one that I really like a lot. And I say almost every single time to myself um, for a while is thank you, Cancer, for all that you have taught me, but it's time for you to leave now. Ooh, I like it. And I find that very sort of relaxing. And whether cancer leaves or not is kind of like, I don't know. I feel like it's doing something, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think cancer is going to leave, but I feel like maybe the impact on me is a little bit less. Like maybe the really bad roommate in my head is going to mm -hmm. be yeah. a little bit nicer to me. Yeah. It's all an up and down, you know? It really is. Like, I feel like mm -hmm. I get good news and then I get like kicked in the face. It's just one day at a time that's how i feel yeah you All really right. do you have to slow down and 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 you know i don't i mean i guess that's the, where the word mindfulness really oh, yeah. comes in mm -hmm. where you're just sort of being very in the moment and taking things yes. as this i've heard a lot about mindfulness my therapist is really big on mindfulness and i do think it is extremely helpful but i feel like it more like a bad day where it's like I need to also do it when I'm having a good day well I, I think it goes back to um sort of the idea of eliminating like stress from your life I think if anything it just puts you in the moment and focusing on what's really important and nothing is really that important just being calm and relaxed and all that so I mean my mindfulness being present whatever you want to call it I yeah. think it's all just ways of managing stress to minimize because that is clinically shown like physical activity and reducing stress are the two best things you can do for yourself health wise, regardless of your situation. So, yeah, totally hear you. Um, okay. We're coming to the end. Um, do you have anything to address or talk about? Yeah, well, I could really talk about, I think the big thing is that I think it's really important to just people to find, like, I call it creative advocacy. Um, I think, you know, like for me, you know, some people aren't into necessarily sharing their story, but I think there's a, you need to find some sort of 
way to occupy your time and your brain and your mind and stuff. And so what I do is I make videos. If uh, people want to check out mine, you just go to thatcancerlife.com. It's a YouTube channel. It has a bunch of videos of things that I've done. There's things like music things that I've done, interviews with people, uh, things like that. Just me talking about like random issues, kind of like you are talking to people on this podcast. Um, I think that, you know, you might do I'm working on a rock opera, which is something that I thought it's a cancer themed rock opera, which I, find, you know, I, I find, I don't know about you, but I find that a lot of the sort of entertainment with cancer themes in them really aren't a, they're not very accurate or they have like sort of a very overwhelming, either very inspirational or depressing sort of theme to it. And I feel like, the cancer experience is way more three-dimensional than that. So oh, totally. rock opera is sort of like the idea is like all the songs are exploring different issues. It's a fundraiser to benefit uh, Teen Cancer America, which is a charity that I'm very supportive of that um, they basically build cancer wards for teenagers because they get caught in the sort of like not really kids they don't want to watch disney movies all day mm -hmm. but they're also not ready to be in with the geriatric folks either who have cancer so it's like it's a, you know sort of related to that most people most people aren't really aware of that but most of the major advances in cancer have actually started with um teen uh, research so you know while that's not specifically what teen cancer america does um, it's related to it. So I think that's really important. I feel like, you know, so supporting like pediatric cancer charities and things like that and research mm -hmm. is very important because that, I mean, that is one thing that really does have benefits for everybody else. So yeah, cancer is so overwhelming, like anything you can, it's the best bang for the buck, I think is, or those sorts of charities and things like that. So I always tell people Barrow Neuro. Yeah. I think that place is really good. Yeah, it's, it's legit. I mean, it's mm -hmm. hard. There are a lot of cancer charities that, you know, have questionable practices, I'll just say. So. Right. I follow them. They just seem like they're they're doing good stuff over there. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Okay, I just wanted to... Well, first of all, um, where... That, it's that cancer life on YouTube. Yeah, thatcancerlife.com. Um, it has all the brain cancer diaries videos that that I called that, plus some more interviewing people with different types of cancer. There's a lot of brain cancer stuff on there, but there's also plenty of plenty of other types discussed on there as well. Um, so yeah, and if they want to find me like on social media, I, I am on Facebook, but I don't really pay much attention to it. But um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, I'm Fishman, but without any of the vowels. So it's just F-S-C-H-M-N-N, -N, uh, at Fishman. Um, so I, it's just my stupid thing, but, but you can find me on there. So easiest way is just that cancer life. You don't have to worry about misspelling anything. It's easier to spell and all that. So. And when this episode goes up, I will tag you in the post about it so you can share it too if you want to. Yeah, absolutely. And then my last couple questions. I just wanted to ask if you could have a or a drink with anyone in the world, alive or deceased, who would it be? That's an interesting question. So I think it really depends on my mood that day when you ask me. I think today mm -hmm. I um, 
probably say somebody like uh, Pete Townsend or Roger Dal- Daltrey, who were the who are the two main members of the Who. Yeah, the two surviving any like just because like I want to I would like to know how their brain works and talk to them. Um, and they're both still alive, right? Yeah, they're both still alive. I I'm a bit of a hit. Chicago a few years ago. Maybe only one of them was there. Mm, they're they're both still involved, but it might, I know that Roger Daltrey tours a bit more than Pete Townsend does, but um, I'm also a bit of a, a history nerd, so okay. there's uh, plenty of historical figures that I would want to talk to and spend time with and pick their brains. I, I, I think there's a lot of obvious ones, like Albert Einstein, but a lot of people would say that. Linus Pauling would be somebody that I'd be interested in, in talking to just because he was you know, the first scientist to also win a peace prize, Nobel Peace Prize. So it's just sort of like the intersection of, of, you know, the science and but also humanity. Like I think it's very important that that it's very easy to lose your identity within um, when you're dealing with a cancer diagnosis. Just you're taking back Tuesday. It's the same yeah. idea. Mm-hmm. You're trying not to lose your identity. You're trying not to become your diagnosis. Cancer patient. Yeah, I mean, more than just cancer. Cancer may define how you live certain areas of your life, but it does not define you as a right. person. Right. So, and I think that's really big. So, Linus Pauling would certainly be up there just because I think he was a scientist who, you know, that. Even though there's a lot of varying theories on his vitamin C work, but whatever, he's still a very interesting guy. He refused to work on on the Manhattan Project and interesting like he had a very he had a strong conscience mm-hmm. so we need more of those yeah and then my last question is what is one thing that you're really into lately that you're thinking is cool it could be a new album an old album a tv show a store you want well i think the thing that i'm most obsessed with right now well, there's two things actually um one is Brantera, the cancer theme rock opera I'm working on, which if you go to that cancer life, you can see some songs that, that I've been working on with people. And then like, you know, like for instance, I'm mixing a song right now with a woman in the UK who has, she's actually has had, has lung cancer now, had a bone cancer as a teen, but the treatment gave her, um, caused uh, lung cancer in her like 15 years later. She wow. sings a song, I've done stuff with like, with uh breast cancer patients with brain cancer patients all kinds of people who don't even have cancer so there's a a number of songs that are up there that's coming out so i've been very trying to get that done by may which is brain cancer awareness month but um probably not gonna happen (laughs) but also i I sing in case you want to know that well you i would love to do a song with you we can talk more about that offline but um but yeah, and the other thing is I'm starting up a thing called Cancer Karaoke, which mm-hmm. is me and any other cancer folks who want to do like sort of like these dumb cancer videos of of singing and playing songs by other artists. It could be something that is meaningful to you or it could just be a dumb song. You know, it's like, oh, I just like this song. I want to show off that that I have some sort of talent or ability or even if you don't have talent or ability like me i still do it anyway i mean i'm okay at a lot of a lot of musical stuff but i'm probably not great at any of it but um but um but it's still just a way of i think it's very important to express yourself so i'm really into that so 
obviously if I'm doing a cancer rock opera, I'm about eight songs in uh, out of about 14 or 15 that I imagine it being done. If I'm dedicating that much time to it and this cancer karaoke thing, then I obviously am into creative efforts, whether they're good or bad, but I think it's important to have that outlet. Yes. Thank you so much for stopping by today and listening to this episode of Taking Back Tuesdays, hosted by Melissa Mitchell. You can find me on Instagram at Taking Back Tuesdays Pod, on Facebook at Taking Back Tuesdays Pod, or you can email me at Taking Back Tuesdays Pod at gmail.com. Have a great week.